This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adikar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Um, but before we dive into um, any new content, um, I'd like to start this class like we started last class um, in a ritual fashion, um, which is both by reciting the blessing over learning Torah together, um, and then offering folks to put into the chat um, any dedications that you'd like to offer this afternoon, if, if you'd like to dedicate your learning um, this afternoon in honor or in memory of anyone that you're holding near in your heart. Um, please do put those names into the chat um, as we recite the blessing together. This concludes with La'asok B'divrei Torah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kichanov Mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to learn Torah together, to immerse ourselves in this wisdom, which is our inheritance. Amen. Uh, and, and holding the names and, and the love in the chat right now of, of these people who you're dedicating your learning towards. All right, so I wanna start by refreshing the project of this class. What, what are we trying to do in this class? And then we'll go into the specifics of what we did last class, and then we'll begin uh, with some new material today. So the goal of this class is to understand Heschel in Heschel's own words, and to look at Heschel beyond the quote that can you know fit on a poster board, but Heschel's writings in, in essay form to really try to understand um, what the building blocks of his theology are. And um, I'm focusing, at least for now, on his theology um, as opposed to his activism, as opposed to his understanding of ritual observance or commandments or Shabbat, um, because I think that understanding his theology actually opens up our understanding of the rest of his writings in a way that really enriches how we might understand what he has to say about civic responsibility or social justice or our observance of the Sabbath or his interpretation of Bible. Um, understanding what the building blocks of his theology are, I think, are is the sort of master key to unlocking the, the, the entirety of his uh, corpus. And so that's the project, is to move slowly through his writings to try to understand the world through his eyes, right? God through his eyes, a religious life, spirituality through his eyes. Um, to help us make sense of Heschel, um, the, the excerpt that I shared with you last week and the excerpt for this week is from this book, Between God and Man, which um, I, I think I explained this last week. This is a compilation of Heschel's writings, all direct quotes put together by Fritz Rothschild, 
I'm primarily drawing from two of Heschel's books, both written in the 50s, Man is Not Alone, and God in Search of Man. So the excerpt, for example, last week on wonder and the excerpt this week on awe are select pages, passages from those two books that Rothschild stitches together to try to leave us, the reader, with a slightly more you know, focused approach to what Heschel has to say about these specific topics. Um, because as I said last week, like the Talmud, you know, Heschel is not, he's not really a systematic thinker. He's an associative thinker. And so if you wanted to know what Heschel has to say about wonder, you know, you would have to draw from 12 different books plucking out the relevant passages. So that's part of what Rothschild's project was, is to put together the most relevant passages on a particular theme. Okay, so that's all sort of review of the project of what we're doing and the sources that we're going to be drawing from. Um, but let's let's start today's class. You notice how many times I'm saying we're starting the class. It's very, it's, that's the rabbinic preamble, I think. It just, it's just long. You, you're warned. The rabbinic preamble will always be long. Um, what did we learn about wonder last week? What did we learn about wonder last week? So I, I want to try to take us through what I feel are the key insights from the excerpt that we read and a little bit beyond the excerpt that we read, um, both so that we can all be on the same page, page and so that we can progress our thinking on this topic today. So it's trickier than it might seem to define precisely what Heschel means by wonder, right? And in fact, the insufficiency of words and language, despite his remarkable poeticism and command of English, his fifth language, if I'm not mistaken, um, despite it, it's still hard to pin down precisely what he means by certain words or by certain concepts. Um, so it's, I think, easier actually to start the discussion of what wonder is by saying what it's not. And Heschel, I think, is actually clearer as to what it's not, perhaps, than what it is. So wonder is not, I wonder how that works, right? Wonder is not a pursuit of knowledge that helps explain the mechanics of something. That's not what he means by wonder. Similarly, wonder is not, I wonder why animals hibernate. Or I wonder why some trees drop their leaves in the fall and others don't. So wonder is not synonymous with intellectual curiosity. Heschel is committed to intellectual curiosity He's not advocating that we abandon that pursuit, but it's a different pursuit than the activity of wonder. Okay, so it, wonder is not something that is satisfied by the right answer. Rather, it's a state of consciousness 
that marvels at the fact that there are facts at all. Right? That marvels at the fact that there are facts at all. It's the sheer astonishment that nature and order and life exist in the first place. Right? It's sort of the deepest wow, wow, that you could summon with a sort of existential quality to it. Wow, I exist to even say wow, right? You could sort of keep on taking the wow back and it would only deepen the wow. Hopefully that, that makes sense, all right? So much of what we read last week were Heschel's warnings about the primary threats that distance us from this attitude of wonder, right? He sometimes describes wonder as an attitude, sometimes as a, a mode of thinking or a way of being, right? So what are some of the things that get in the way of cultivating and exercising this attitude? Number one, taking things for granted, right? Which I think he sees taking things for granted as a threat to that to wonder um, because it, it's coupled with a loss of appreciation for the gift of it all right for the gift of life for the gift of existence if you take things for granted you are less likely to be in the wow right and number two and he he really spends a lot of time in what we read and elsewhere fleshing this out Something that distances us from our attitude of wonder is believing that our ability to explain something replaces our appreciation of that phenomenon existing in the first place, right? If I can explain why the sunset manifests in the beautiful range of colors that it does, Heschel warns us from confusing that explanation with a sense of wonder that a sunset exists in the first place, that I have the eyes and the perceptive sense to even take it in, that the cult that colors exists, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? You can sort of continue to build out what, what is wondrous about that. So he gives the great example, you know, he says, by the way, it's not the the great scientists who make this mistake. The great scientists are actually filled with wonder for the observable universe that they are trying to explain. It's the rest of us who think that the explanation sort of, you know, plugs the hole entirely of what's so remarkable about what we're witnessing. Okay, taking things for granted and believing that our ability to explain something are threats to wonder. Okay, so. At the root of Heschel's concept of wonder, then, is the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? And I don't think that Heschel is as interested in the answer to this question as he's interested in the attitude that this question cultivates within us. Right? Think about the, the feeling 
that rises within you when you ask the question, why is there something at all? Why is there something rather than nothing? It, it could have been otherwise. It could have been the case that I never would have arrived here on this planet to experience it all. So the spiritual product of asking this question at marveling in the realization of the question is wonder. And now Heschel is gonna make a theological jump, which for him, I think doesn't feel like a jump, but for some of us might feel like a jump. Wonder points to the divine. It points to something much greater than ourselves, which Heschel believes is fundamentally inexplicable, inexplainable, right? ineffable. We don't have the words to truly convey what precisely that thing that's greater than us is, but it, 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 it is the realest thing that we can bring our awareness into contact with. All right, so this, I think, gets us as close as possible to a definition of wonder. And here I'm gonna give you a direct quote. This is from God in Search of Man. It wasn't in the excerpt that we read last week, but I, I think it's gonna help us. Wonder is our response to that which we see and are unable to convey. It's the silent illusion of things to a meaning greater than themselves. So wonder is a response to the wow of it all, to the existence of existence that points to something greater than ourselves. It's an experience linked to the illusion of the of the divine not illusion illusion with an a it alludes to the divine right again in heschel's words existence is an irreducible mystery that's an important word that we'll come back to mystery existence is an irreducible mystery and all that exists alludes to its transcendent source. Everything we see, everything we experience is mysterious beyond our ability to explain it and points to the creator of it all, its transcendent source. All that exists alludes to God. Therefore, wonder reflects a situation in which the mind stands face to face with the mystery and begins to comprehend that the mystery of reality alludes to something beyond it, i.e. the divine. Let me say that again. Wonder reflects a situation in which the mind stands face to face with the mystery and begins to comprehend 
that the mystery of reality alludes to something beyond it, to the divine. Okay. I'm going to pause here. That was my <laughs> uh, over, overly saturated intro, um, meant to catch us up on what we learned last week about wonder, build on it a little bit, try to define it as hard as that is, um, which will then lead us. And Rena, I see your, your question here in the chat. Um, I think I saw it a moment ago. Wow, now I realize that there's lots of questions here. Um, from wonder to awe, that's what we're going to explore today. What sort of what what is the journey from wonder? I'll just tell you from wonder to awe to wisdom. That's the journey we're going to be looking at today. And so there is a subtle difference, I think, between wonder and awe, but that we'll learn on the on the inside from within the text. Okay. So Let's, let's, um, I, I will try to look through the, the chats, but I'd love to invite two max three people to ask any questions based on this lengthy introduction that I just offered about, about wonder. And feel free to either raise your virtual hand or just turn on your microphone. Aviva. Yeah. Okay. This is phenomenal. Thank you. I'd love for you to repeat the last quote. And as I said in the chat, if you can send us these quotes, all the better, um, because I need to spend some time with them. But you said something really important, and there's a bridge here. You said, and at this point, Heschel makes a theological jump, right? Right when he shifts us from trying to understand this to, and this points us to the divine. Yeah. Can you say more about that bridge that he makes, that what you call the jump? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So when Heschel, when Heschel implies that at the root of wonder is the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, I think that there's an assumption within that question. I'm not sure we'd ha we have to make this assumption, but I think he, he includes the assumption that if there is something, there is someone responsible for that something. He's very interested in shifting our orientation away from ourselves and towards something greater than ourselves. And for Heschel, the name of that something greater than ourselves is God. Right? God as the author of it all. Now, some of us are might be less comfortable with that jump. And, and as I said last week, Heschel is not going to try to prove the existence of God. That, that's, that's not his project. And frankly, I think You know, as the heir to the Hasidic tradition in which he was raised, I, I don't think that Heschel doubted God's existence. As I said last week, Heschel questions God's silence in the face of suffering. But Heschel believes as an ontological reality that God exists and 
God is the source of all creation. And when we start to recognize that we are not responsible for creating the world around us, the jump is that then God is. God is responsible for that. And attuning our awareness to that is the first step of wonder. So that's the God outside. That's the God outside of ourselves. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's what we might call the transcendent God. That's the trans. That's what I was about to say. That's the transcendent, not the imminent. Right. That's right. That's right. And um, part of what I hope to cover today is, um, and, and I think we'll build on this more in future classes. Transcendence and self-transcendence is, I think, crucial to Heschel's theology, right? Heschel wants us, as we'll see, to be able to shift our perspective to, from um, what is my realm of concern to what is God's realm of concern, right? Not just the God who lives within me, but the God who is responsible for all of creation. Okay, let's take another question if there is one. Okay, Heschel is just that clear. God bless you all. All right, so I'm gonna share my screen. Here we go, all right. Do you all see the... Yes. Okay, good. All right. So this is the excerpt that I sent you um, this morning. Um, once again, this is from Between God and Man, but it's in, it's two excerpts, one from God in Search of Man and one from Man is Not Alone that Rothschild put together in this thematic section about awe and reverence. So I want to, I want to start us to make it bigger. Hopefully that makes it bigger for you all. Here, you see the italicized words and, I, and, and someone actually put this into chat, into the chat. The beginning of awe is wonder and the beginning of wisdom is awe. I'm going to read two more paragraphs and then we'll try to take it all in. I'll try to break it down. Awe is a way of being in rapport with the mystery of all reality. The awe that we sense or ought to sense when standing in the presence of a human being is a moment of intuition for the likeness of God, which is concealed in his essence. Not only man, even inanimate things stand in relation to the creator. The secret of every being is the divine care and concern that are invested in it. Something sacred is at stake in every event. Awe is an intuition for the creaturely dignity of all things and their preciousness to God, a realization that things not only are what they are, but also stand, however remotely, for something absolute. That's the alluding that we spoke about earlier. Awe is a sense for the transcendence, for the reference everywhere to him who is beyond all things, it is an insight better conveyed in attitudes than in words. 
the more eager we are to express it, the less remains of it. The meaning of awe is to realize that life takes place under wide horizons, horizons that range beyond the span of an individual life or even the life of a nation, a generation, or an era. Awe enables us to perceive in the world intimations of the divine, a sense in small things, the beginning of infinite significance, to sense the ultimate in the common and the simple, to feel in the rush of the passing, the stillness of the eternal. Digest that for a moment. All right. There's much to break down here, um, including a new crucial term, awe. Right. So let's start with this opening sentence. The beginning of awe is wonder and the beginning of wisdom is awe. Wonder leads to awe, which leads to wisdom. Right. So we spoke about this a little bit last class, but Heschel's poeticism sometimes gets in the way of clear definitions of the technical terms he's using. Awe, wonder, radical amazement all appear throughout his writings, and sometimes they feel uh, interchangeable. And we actually saw this last week when we read, he had a, Heschel had a sentence in last week's reading, wonder or radical amazement is the chief characteristic of the religious man's attitude towards history and nature, right? So which one is it? Is it wonder or is it radical amazement? Um, but here he, he does seem to be charting out a progression, right? Wonder, to awe, to wisdom. So I wanna lean right now on Shai Held, Rabbi Shai Held, um, who wrote this incredible book on Heschel. This book informs my thinking on Heschel more than anything else I've read on Heschel. It's called Abraham Joshua Heschel, The Call of Transcendence. So here's how Held explains what's happening between wonder and awe. Held explains that wonder is a perception that all of reality alludes to something beyond it. And awe is our response to the realization that it's God to whom reality alludes. When wonder ripens into a full awareness of God, we arrive at awe. Okay, so wonder is a sort of a pre-apprehension of God. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an attitude and an understanding that existence is mysterious, that we can't explain it all, and that we better understand our place in the cosmos through that awareness, but it isn't attached yet to God as this, as the, as what this mystery is pointing to towards, right? But awe a, sort of grafts God onto what wonder be, is beginning to open us up to. All right, so. 
that I think is what, what he's Heschel is doing here when the beginning of awe is wonder and then the beginning of wisdom is awe. So for Heschel, wisdom is then going to be defined as inextricably linked with our deep comprehension of the reality that God is what makes it all possible. And God is the source of all being. And that's where true wisdom lies for Heschel. And we haven't gotten there yet, but don't worry. This is not just some passive intellectual philosopher's game for Heschel, right? Wonder to awe to wisdom come with tremendous responsibility and orientation on how to be in the world. But right now we're just, we're, we're building the theology one concept at a time. Um, I love the next sentence. Awe is a way of being in rapport with the mystery of all reality. Being in rapport. This is relational. This is not about a concept of God as it's about a relationship with God. And it's willful, right? It's an action. We develop a rapport that emerges from this core insight. So I think Heschel wants us to reorient what's at the core of existence from us to God. We are not at the center. God is at the center. We are not the creator of it all. God is the creator of it all. And from that insight, we begin to sense that God is, I want to be careful here. I'm going to say God is in everything or God is alluded to by everything. The reason I say I'm being careful here is because um, I don't think that God, that God, that Heschel is a pantheist. I don't think that Heschel believes that God is everything. You know, God is the water bottle. God is the tree, right? Which you see some Hasidic thought move very close to that idea. But I do think that Heschel wants us relating to the world in a way in which everything we see alludes to God, right? A spark of the divine is found within everything. And for that reason, something sacred, this is right, we just read this, something sacred is at stake in every event. Everything stands in relation to the creator. Awe is a sense for the transcendence, for the reference everywhere to God, who is beyond all things, right? God who's beyond all things, right? So the transcendence here um, is about a God who's not just in the particular, but also beyond the particulars. Okay, Jessica, I saw your hand before. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so um, I mentioned Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart in the comments, but the things she said that helped me keep understand the difference for myself between awe and wonder and now you're, the connection you're making to wisdom I love because she kind of describes awe is where you just like your breath it catches your breath it's a sunset it just evokes this feeling inside you 
um, of God, of one, you know, of all of that. Wonder is where there's curiosity, where you want to know more about it. So I think Heschel, Heschel, what you said about awe, I think Heschel would say about wonder, maybe minus the God piece, right? And the curiosity is actually not, not part of his definition of wonder or awe, right? It's the worthwhile pursuit of knowledge um, and you know, curiosity drives that pursuit. But Heschel is also quite wary of, of the pursuit of knowledge, right? He's not, he's not dismissing it entirely, but he's concerned that the pursuit of knowledge um, too often leads us to the misconception that we are the, the the master of all things. We are not the master of all things, right? Wonder is the recognition that we are not the master of all things. Wonder is the recognition that um, all of these incredible observations and experiences and feelings and qualities of life that I'm taking in um, are bigger than any possible explanation of them, right? And, and so maybe it's worth worthwhile to, to talk a little bit more about mystery here, right? And, and Heschel says, we just read this, right? Awe is a way of being in rapport with the mystery of all reality. So, okay, so I think for Heschel, mystery is the fact of existence that what is, is more than what you see. Being is mysterious. The existence of the world is a mystery. Okay, and mystery is not an aspect of human subjectivity. It's an essential dimension of objective reality itself. It's an aspect of the world rather than a construct of the perceiving mind. Okay, so something is not mysterious because we don't understand it, right? That's the knowledge curiosity domain, right? Mystery is a, it's a spiritual setting of reality. It's a, it's a dimension of existence, right? Mystery is the, is the, inarguable fact that existence is beyond explanation. That we are encountering a reality that keeps pointing to something bigger, 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 ad infinitum. And wonder is the response to mystery. Wonder is the sort of recognition of that quality, spiritual setting of reality. And then it's and then it's our response, right? It's because because what it's it's key for Heschel, I think that wonder is a like it's a it's a muscle that you can learn, that you can activate, that you can that you can build. And then awe ascribes that something greater to God, right? So awe then becomes 
a foundational posture for relationship. Wonder opens us up to the possibility of an awesome, awful, but you and awful, F-U-L-L, right? Awful, filled with awe, relationship with God. It's not easy. This stuff is not easy. If you're feeling a little bit lost, uh, me too, okay? Try, we're trying to make sense of this together. Leah. I think part of the reason we may feel lost is because we're trained to be very uncomfortable with, with mystery. I'd rather not. Give me the facts. Um, I want data. I want evidence-based medicine. I want to be able to look it up on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like not knowing things. I don't like not understanding things. I, I think I've been trained that way. It's too scary. Um, it also could be completely wonderful, com filled with wonder, but I, my fear goes forward first. Mm. Mm. You know, sometimes Heschel uses um, the word mystery interchangeably with the word sublime, the sublime, the mystery, the sublime. And I offer, I offer that to you all because one might, right, one might sort of click into place um, with greater ease for you than, than the other, right? I think, I think they are different, right? Mystery sort of feels like the ultimate question mark, right, at the center of existence, right, which points to you know, G question mark D, right? That that name of God. Whereas maybe sublime is like G exclamation mark D, right? The sort of God who's just like, um, Jessica, you said this before, it sort of takes our breath away. Wow. Uh, boy, the hands went shooting up. I, I forgive me. I don't know what order they went up in. So Let's start with Yuval and then Karen, and then forgive me, Jen and Alexandra, we'll see where we are with time and then I'll make a call. Hey, Rabbi, thank you so much for this. This is so great. And um, I'm, I, start, I got in, I'm just a little bit late. So forgive me if I'm asking a question that is um, maybe covered, but I was really struck by what you were talking about, the relationship between um, awe and well, actually, awe and relationship itself, and the notion that that's part of a relationship to uh, to God, to higher power. And it just made me really think, um, and this might be very specialized, so sorry if no one else is interested in this, but I was just really curious how the relationship between Heschel and Buber, who I really um, adore, and how, how central to the notion of um, of, of a relationship between two between people and becomes a relationship with the divine. Uh, I'm just wondering what you know the you know uh, Buber and um, and Heschel. If you know, it seems like there there's a lot of shared interests there. Um, but I was just really curious um, how much Heschel has been uh, was engaged with with uh, with Buber's thought, and that that's something that that also is connected to what we're reading today. Yeah, great, great question, Yuval. They are most certainly in conversation with one another. Um, Heschel 
think Heschel is responding to Buber in a lot of his writings. And I won't get into all of the specifics here, but the passage that we just read um, feels like very influenced by, by Buber, right? This sense that um, standing in the presence of a human being is a moment of intuition for the likeness of God, which is concealed in his essence. Not only man, even inanimate things stand in relation to the creator. Something sacred is at stake in every event. I mean, there's a, there is a re relational dialogical theology that Heschel is building here, which feels a lot like you know, Buber's I thou, not only with another human being, but famously with a tree, right? And you stand in relation to the tree and that can be a moment of I thou, of perceiving the presence of God within the created world. Um, so that is very much present in Heschel's theology. Um, I'd have to think more. What I was about to say is that you know, but sort of like, but Heschel doesn't want to stop there. But let me think more about the instinct to say that before I build on that thought. Um, okay, Karen, thank you, Yuval. Great question. Um, thank you. I I may not be understanding this correctly, but I don't have that hard of a time understanding the the wonder and the awe and God. Um, in relation to things that are like a sunset or nature or another human being. Um, but I'm having a hard time transferring that to something that's awful and horrible mm -hmm. and devastating. Um, and to see the wonder and awe and God in that. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. So I don't think you're missing something, Karen. I think that that's um, insightful. And I and I was watching the nods in agreement and in, in recognition of the truth of what you're saying. Um, so I think we have to be careful here not to turn Heschel's God into a determinist, uh, a deterministic God who doesn't grant us free will. Right. So I think Heschel does believe that the the presence of God can be found in every moment and in every encounter, which is different than saying God caused that encounter to happen or God gave me the illness that I'm struggling with or God gave my loved one the illness. God is the author of the created world, which includes the ability for genes to replicate in destructive ways and diseases to spread and so forth. And so we might um, take issue with God's blueprint, right? With, with God as the designer Right? But I don't think Heschel would say that God inserts God's self into history and gives something to someone. Um, and still, Karen, I think there, there is something much more challenging about seeing God's 
face in the presence of suffering than in the beauty of a sunset. And so here, I would prefer to see God's presence in suffering um, as an image of God who is suffering alongside with us. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll get there in a few classes. I think we, I, I want, I'm going to say that now, and I think we'll see that in Heschel's writing, but we haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, thank you for your questions. Jen, Alexandra, I'm going to, I'm going to try to move us along and then hopefully there's time. I had a whole plan. You can ask Neil, I had a whole plan for breakout rooms and everything, and it's all gone to, I won't say that word, but it's, but it's good to be together, I hope, and learn together. And if in future sessions, um, you really feel strongly about wanting breakout rooms, shoot me an email. And I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to teach philosophy over Zoom with 47 wonderful friends. So bear with me in terms of the structure of this class. Um, I'm going to take us back into our, our excerpt here. Um, I, so if the sort of topic sentence for this whole section is the beginning of awe is wonder and the beginning of wisdom is awe, I want to make sure we spend a little bit of time on, on wisdom. Right, what Heschel means by wisdom. So I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, let's skip down to here. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is fostered by curiosity. Wisdom is fostered by awe. Jessica, I think this relates to what we were talking about earlier. True, now this is crucial. True wisdom is participation in the wisdom of God. Some people may regard as wisdom an uncommon degree of common sense. To us, wisdom is the ability to look at all things from the point of view of God, sympathy with the divine pathos, the identification of the will with the will of God. And then he has a lovely quote from Jeremiah that... Uh, I'm not going to distract us with for the moment, okay? But we just read something uh, uh, crucial, I think, to his theology. Wisdom is the ability to look at all things from the point of view of God. Remember, we get there through awe, which is a recognition that all of reality alludes to, points to the you know, divine fingerprint, Right? that God inf infuses everything with God's divinity and that God is in relationship with everything, everyone and everything from a particular point of view, uh, from a perspective that radically differs from our own, but isn't inaccessible to our comprehension. All right, so digest for a moment. What we just read is that that short paragraph. So it's on sort of bottom of the page and the top of the page makes it a little harder to see. Okay. All right. So he starts once again by cautioning us against the limitations of knowledge, which for him this linked to this accumulation of information. 
um, and the limitations of our limited perspective. Um, the move to wisdom, wonder to awe to wisdom, is the fundamental reorientation of perspective. Right? This is what Shai Held calls Heschel's persistent call for self-transcendence, from transcending our limited, often self-centered point of view in an attempt to adopt the world through God's eyes. So wonder is very different, once again, from curiosity. Right? Curiosity allows us to remain at, at the center as the questioning subject. Whereas wonder decenters us, putting us in the position of responding to something outside of us rather than fulfilling hungers within us. Right? And responding to something outside of us starts with God's perspective of the of the other. Okay, I want to I want to share one more quote, and then I'll we'll spend the last seven minutes in group conversation. Elsewhere, Heschel writes the following: The grand premise of religion is that man is able to surpass himself. Wonder is a state in which I feel compelled by something other than myself. Indifference to wonder, in contrast, is a form of self-enclosure in which the only criterion of value is what is useful for the fulfillment of my own desires and aspirations. In closing myself off to the possibility of wonder, I effectively shut out any claim that that which is outside me makes upon me. This process leads me to devalue everything other than myself and gives me permission to neglect or even worse, exploit the other. So religion is the result of what man does with his ultimate wonder. So the question I'd like to pose for the last eight minutes of our class let me pose a couple of questions so that you can respond to whatever whatever is the right key, okay? What happens when we cultivate the ability to look at things from the point of view of God? What is Heschel urging us? What perspective is Heschel urging us to see? And what responsibilities emerge from that shift in the perspective? And then the second question, this is a call back to last class. If you remember, we read at the very beginning of last class, Heschel wrote, indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of sin. Indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of sin. And I think we didn't really have the tools or the language to fully answer that question last week. But my hope is that we now have a better understanding of what Heschel meant when he wrote that last week. <laughs> um, what he what 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 we understand now? Why is it that indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of sin? Okay, so Jen, Alexandra, and then we'll see where we are. Um, this is sort of like 
a question to understand your question. Um, <laughs> like I'm listening to the words that are being said about all of these things and I'm hearing, uh, like we're going back and forth between like a physical sort of experiencing to an emotional experiencing to like an intellectual, like understanding. And then we have a lot of words that sort of mix them all like perspective could mean, I understand the perspective. I understand the thinking versus I am experiencing sensorily the world from a certain place. And I'm having a really hard time understanding like where is like that gut sensory experience where is like an emotional experience like awe usually would be described as an emotion and then where is that cognitive like is awe just a realization which is like intellectual um and i'm having a really hard time seeing that which i think is a crucial understanding for how to like do wonder or do awe is to know like what is the role of my body what is the role of my emotions and where is it just up in my head Great question, Jen. I, I'm I'm pausing because I'm wondering, pardon the pun, uh, if Heschel would want to make any of those distinctions, or if or if Heschel would see it as an ideally an integrated experience of reality. Right. So there's an element of it that in, that that necessitates the use of the mind there's an element that necessitates the heart the and then there's something that we're almost we're predisposed we're 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 wired as spiritual creatures to sense in reality the grandeur and the sublime and the mystery that's out there. And so however you take it in, right? Maybe some people get there by way of intellectual, you know, piecing the puzzle pieces together. And maybe others get there through, you know, an emotional experience with another. Um, I think, I mean, as I said last class, I think, you know, he doesn't believe that you can argue people into wonder. He thinks you can inspire people into wonder. And he also believes that, um, uh, try seeing if I can find it. Um, I, I think he believes that awe and wonder are almost like skills that we can learn and we can we can we can learn to see the world and ourselves through these lenses um and maybe it depends on the person you know what what part of the self you lead with that's me sort of mumbling through an answer i, I have to think about it more but that's my that's my first instinct that was super helpful thank you okay thanks uh, alexandra Hi, thank you. This class is great. Um, I had some thoughts on your questions and also, Jen, what I, uh, what I was thinking about is along the lines of what you brought up, that from part of the tension, I think, is that he is a very cerebral writer describing an emotional kinesthetic experience. And, and to simplify it for me in terms of, okay, how do I put this into action? Um, these are the, 
what he's describing are the same sort of energetic vibration emotionally, kinesthetically as the emotions of love and appreciation. And so when we live with love and appreciation, that's our job as Jews that's in the Shema to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our very beings, and to see that God is in everything and that God and that everything is in God. And so um, that so that is how I think that uh, it's the, the root of sin. When we don't live from this place of love, when we don't live from this place of appreciation of seeing the divine and everything, that's our mandate as God, as, as God, as, um, as Jews. And, um, and, and then, and so to me, it's the emotional kinesthetic experience of love appreciation. And I can put myself there if I work at it, I can, I can say, oh, okay, I'm in a terrible mood, but maybe I can make myself feel a little bit better by saying, oh, that was nice. And then a little bit better by saying, oh, that was nice. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Oh, I love that. I appreciate that. I can take myself there if I train myself. It's a project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, I had, oh, and, and the perspective of God, I think is, I love that to question everything. Like God wants us to question everything. It's in the Torah where, um, and, and, and to question God, even that. And so I think when we question everything, it helps us to, to maybe get closer to that perspective of God, even question our own motives, our own beliefs. Um, so anyway, thank you for this Excellent. class. I really appreciate it. Excellent, Alexandra. Um, I, I, wanna, I wanna build on that last point as a way of closing. Um, right, so, Maybe questioning, right? Questioning is is I'm not I'm not sure that that's what Heschel means by adopting the perspective of God. I'm not Jews certainly an exercise of of Jewish spirituality is the act of questioning. Is God a questioning God? That's an interesting question. Right? What questions does God have? That's that's food for thought in between this week and next week. What Heschel, I think, is, yes, Jane, where are you? That is, that you're right. Quite literally, that's that's one of God's questions. That's God's first question. Nice. Um, I want to just draw our attention to something that we just read. Um, the secret of every being is the divine care and concern that are invested in it. The secret of every being is the divine care and concern that are invested in it. It's so self-transcendence, like moving beyond a sense of self, which both mistakenly thinks that we are the masters of creation and that is overly preoccupied with our own needs at the expense of caring for others. The move of self-transcendence to the adoption of God's perspective is recognizing the divine care and concern 
that God has for every being. I think that that begins to create a rubric for religious life right? that Heschel is then going to articulate in greater detail. Religious life, right, the everyday actions of being a religious person emerge from the starting place of how does God feel about this person and how can I channel that feeling into my actions? But to get there, you have to go on this journey from wonder to awe to then ultimately wisdom. All right, dear friends, thank you for an hour for sharing your lunchtime with me and for an hour of um, quite deep learning. Um, Rabbi Panitz at ikar.org. If you have questions, if you want to see anything that I said in writing, uh, if you have feedback or recommendations for how to structure this class moving forward, um, thank you for being here with me this afternoon. Take care, everyone. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.